Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. We call this episode, You Better Clerk. That's because as many folks are heading into or even back to law school, they may be wondering if a judicial clerkship is in their future. Besides looking good on a resume, a judicial clerkship can be a transformative learning experience. It can also be a permanent career. On this episode, I'm going to be speaking with a law student who spent a summer clerking for eight different openly gay and lesbian judges at all levels of the judiciary in New York. I'll also speak with someone who made clerking a career, or at least put her on a path towards being a judge herself one day. Finally, I'll speak with a recent law graduate who is now in big law after spending two years clerking for the first openly gay judge on New York's highest court. Let's dig in. We're going to begin by talking with Audrey Juarez. Audrey is one of the recipients of Legal's Hank Henry Judicial Fellowship. The Hank Henry Judicial Fellowship was established in the memory of Dr. Henry, whose groundbreaking work as the executive director of the Fund for Modern Courts was instrumental in ensuring that openly gay and lesbian candidates were considered and appointed to judicial positions. This 22-year-old Judicial Fellowship program remains one of a kind. It provides fellows the chance to work with and rotate for the 10-week summer among several different judges from various courts and tribunals. The fellows get a first-hand look at the work of openly gay and lesbian judges in federal district court, state trial and appellate courts, and administrative tribunals, providing an insider's understanding of the judicial system. Let's talk to Audrey. So, Audrey, tell us a little bit about the Hank Henry Fellowship and what attracted you to uh, putting an application. Uh, Is something you want to do for your first internship uh, after your first 1L year? Sure. Uh, Well, as anyone in law school or anyone who has graduated from law school knows, uh, it is quite an adventure to land an illustrious uh, 1L summer internship. Um, As someone who has worked before school, I knew that I wanted to do something, uh, maybe fun's not the right word, but something that I was personally invested and interested in. Um, When you're a professional, you don't always have the opportunity to do work that you're super passionate about. And so I cared to look for things that, uh, internships that dealt with, you know, issues that people of color encounter, LGBTQ folks encounter. And so when I found the Bar Association Hank Henry Fellowship, I saw the description and it said, you know, do you have, like, are you interested in public service? Check. Uh, Do you care about the LGBTQ community? Double check. Uh, Have you done public service for the LGBTQ community? Triple check. And I was like, okay, so I need to apply to that. Like, that's what I need to do. Yeah. Um, And sort of prepared my materials. And it's always interesting when you're you know, I came out when I was 17, right before I went to college. And so, so much of my college experience was based in my LGBTQ identity. So kind of getting to go back into that as I jumped back into academia and law school was, was really, uh, exciting just to apply to. And then once I got the interview, I was a little intimidated, but, um, but it's, it's been a fantastic, uh, experience from application through my fellowship. You got to experience all different types of, of, of settings. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What did you like about each one or what did you take away? That's a good question. Um, so I'll try to go in order. So the appellate division I thought was interesting because it feels like a, almost an, it almost feels like a mini Supreme Court. Like you've yeah. got a bench. Um, this was like a beautiful building, the first department. Um, and the justices there, you know, they know what they're talking about. They're very experienced. Um, and there's a certain, um, I don't even know what the word is, but you feel the importance in that space when you step into it. Uh, like gravitas. Yes, or- a little bit. I think maybe that's it. Um, it feels important and yeah. it looks important. And yeah. as someone who worked in DC, I'm used to that feeling, but, but maybe not so much with the court system. Um, then I went to Manhattan Supreme Court and Brooklyn Supreme Court and both of those experiences were interesting because those were like the, the you know, everyday folks um, who you see encountering um, the legal system and sort of trying to find their way. Um, and so that was fascinating. And there's a massive workload. I got to go to federal court, which is which was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, Probably never been in a safer building before, which was interesting. <laughs> um, and, you know, Judge Chen was approachable and friendly and kind, as was her staff. Um, and it felt very special to be in that space. I got to see a trial at federal court, which actually touched on LGBT issues, which I was not expecting um, and kind of caught me off guard, um, but was a good experience. And then my last two weeks were at family court. And I actually think that. If you want to see the ways that the law can hurt and harm all at once, one should go to family court um, because you really see <laughs> you really see like uh, the light and humanity and some of the darkness at family court, and you see judges who again have massive, massive dockets um, engaging with children. You see someone who's really important engaging with children, um, and that was wild to me. So I like I treasured each experience um, and sort of tried to take it for what it was. Um, and I'm grateful that the program allows you to sit in different courts because you're going to learn different things in different courts, and you're going to learn different things from different judges because the judges are bringing in their unique experiences as well. So, I yeah, I was grateful. I am grateful for that um, because I think I learned a lot, and I got to do some research. I got about all kinds of different issues. I got to learn about corporate law, even though I haven't taken any corporate law classes yet. Um, and got to exercise some of my mind muscles that I wasn't expecting to use over the summer. So it was it was really good. I'm really grateful. One of the things that's so unique about the fellowship is that you're cycling through uh, openly gay and lesbian judges in different levels of the New York court system. What, in what ways do you think, number one, diversity is important on the bench? And also, did you see, you know, people's, people's identities reflected in the way that they approached particular issues or the decision-making process? Hmm. Does your perspective and experience really, does it impact the way that you, or that you watch judges approach cases? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. I, in multiple ways, I think that, um, you know, as LGBTQ folks, we are multifaceted. It's, it's a, it's an identity, but for a lot of people, they have 
many different identities and some of them they may feel more affected by on a day-to-day basis and their LGBTQ-ness. And so judges acknowledged, not in the courtroom, um, but conversationally that there's a lot of diversity in New York and that uh, not every plaintiff or litigant looks the same or is going to react the same way in court. Um, I think one good example of that is that uh, I was sitting, I won't say which court, but I was sitting in a courtroom and and, um, both people on both sides of the courtroom were very quiet, very quiet. And in court, you know, the judges are always like, speak up, like, I need to hear you, please speak clearly. Um, But the judge I was with understood that the reason why they were quiet was because they come from a culture that is very deferential to judges. And so to speak out loudly would be seen as disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And so I think that judge sort of adjusted their expectations because they knew culturally that these people weren't being rude or being disrespectful or being dismissive or um, not being engaged, but that culturally for them to raise their voice, they would have found that they would feel like they were disrespecting someone. So that's one part of it. And I think, you know, having been in Brooklyn, Brooklyn is a very diverse place and there are lots of different folks from lots of different communities and lots of different backgrounds who live there. And so on any given day, you're going to see eight different translators for eight different languages and cultural experiences and, and judges, I think, try their best to communicate in ways that transcend language. Um, and that's not easy either. Um, while you're also thinking about the law and if you're in family court, like thinking about the welfare of a child, like there is a lot going on. And so what's the, if you were, what's maybe the biggest thing besides learning that you don't want to be a judge, what's your biggest kind of takeaway? What have you really learned from the, if you synthesize the whole experience, how has it helped you as a, as a future lawyer? I mean, uh, so I said this earlier, it's demystified the whole thing a little bit. It also, there were a lot of lawyering lessons to be learned that I didn't even really learn from the judges, that I learned from being in the room. Um, I think in law school, we're so focused on getting through and making sure you get good grades and doing the right internship. There are a lot of, like, again, boxes that you need to check in law school. Um, But the whole question of the type of lawyer that you want to be, I think, is an important one that maybe folks don't stop long enough to think about. Um, you can do super well in class, but if you don't care to listen to your client, none of that matters. If you aren't prepared, you're doing a disservice to your client who's paying you or who can't afford to pay you, who you have volunteered to represent. And so I think the biggest takeaway from me actually, um, and the biggest challenge that I want to take forward in, into becoming a lawyer and my career as a lawyer is what type of person and what type of lawyer I want to be and how I can get those two things close to each other. There was something that a few of the lawyer, a few of the lawyers touched on the fact that like they knew that they were treated differently because they were LGBTQ when they were younger. Like they knew that. And, um, you mean in their, in their legal field In their legal field. Yeah. And when they were going through law school and, and one of them, was talking about being a young woman and wearing pants and how at that time that was like unheard of. And I like saw myself in that moment with like my suit feeling dapper and and be, I'm very androgynous. And so I thought about that and I was like, wow, like if it weren't for these judges, 
Um, and it weren't for, if it weren't for the work that people before me have done, like I wouldn't be in this space, um, mm-hmm. looking the way that I look, being the way that I am and, and being entirely unapologetic about it. And so that was very special to me too, is, is, you know, I think it's easy to forget your history. Let's close with law school. You're, you're rising to L. What are you looking forward to this year? Do you love law school? Would you encourage everyone to do it? What makes a good law student? Oh, gee. Let's try to keep it inspiring. Yes, I will. Okay, I will. So first of all, I will start with a meh, which is be sure you want to go to law school. Yeah. Because like I said, I knew I wanted to go to law school. I worked with lawyers before, um, and it was still very hard. So if you're on the fence, take a breath and really think about it. Try to be kind to yourself. Try to be kind to yourself because as an adult, it's weird to get grades. Um, that's weird. Um, you will sometimes feel like maybe there are people who are smarter than you are, and there probably are. I definitely know that I'm not the smartest person in my classroom, and I'm okay with that. And remember who you are. Um, I think it's easy whenever you're jumping into something new to be like, okay, I need to like comfortable quickly, and sometimes that means sort of changing yourself to fit into a mold um Mm. and because everyone else is trying to do that too everyone's trying to figure out their place in law school but for me i'm like you know i am who i am like i'm a loud gal who like enjoys hanging out with her friends and kikiing and making jokes Mm. and i'm not the person who's going to be sweating right before my final like i'm the person who's going to be listening to spanish pop music and trying to dance because that's what's going to help me in that moment so remembering yourself i think is helpful too I mean, even as you started this interview, you mentioned seeing the Hank Henry application and being like, check, check. Yes. These are things that fit me. Yeah. And I think, you know, I couldn't agree with you more that you either know something's right for you. Don't try to fit yourself into a mold. It's either right for you and you'll know it right away, that it fits your values, that it fits what you see yourself doing. Yeah. And that's the most important thing, not to lose yourself. Absolutely. Go law school. Awesome. Yay. Well, you... <laughs> You know, you really make us proud, too. We have some wonderful alumni of this fellowship, and um, you're going to do us very proud. Thank Um, you. You're going to do great work and big things. So thank you for applying and (laughs) making it through the process. Thank you for choosing me. (laughs) And demystifying what you've learned, um, synthesizing it. I love a good rule synthesis. You know, that's the important part of law school. What is it, crack or Iraq or something? There's Iraq, there's crack. Well, thank you so much, Audrey. We appreciate you speaking with us today. Thank you. All right. So I am so thrilled to be sitting down with Ashley Crawford, who is a good friend of Legal. Ashley is a principal appellate court attorney at the Appellate Division, First Department, here in New York. Um, And we're so excited to talk a little bit about what the experience is like for you working in the judicial system at the state level. And um, maybe we could start with talking about what is the Appellate Division, First Department? Every state court is so different. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Okay. The, the Appellate Division First Department is the intermediate appellate court that um, hears all the cases coming out of Manhattan and the Bronx, out of Supreme Court, criminal court, and family court. So it has, we really see a, a great breadth of, of cases, and, um, and you really 
are steeped in this sense of the daily lives of every cross-section of New Yorkers. You have the big commercial cases, and you have, you know, all of the in, the stuff coming out of family court, dealing with a lot of really intense issues, and, you know, collaterally you're dealing with poverty and, and you know, all of the things that, that impact those cases and, and, you know, the cases coming out of criminals. So it is a very interesting place to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, you really get to see a lot. What do you enjoy about working in the court system? Well, when I started off in the court system, I clerked um, individually for, for one judge and then another judge. And um, my current position is I'm supporting all of the judges of the appellate division. I think we're, I mean, we're supposed to be about 20 judges. We might be a little bit under right now. Um, so I'm not assigned to an individual judge. And I think there are, um, I guess, I don't want to, well, I guess pros and cons to, to both. So um, I think working for an individual judge is an amazing opportunity because you're really, um, you're there with them in chambers, you're there with them on the bench, you um, build a relationship with them, and you really get to see in close proximity how they make decisions, how they manage their their caseload, um, how they interact with the attorneys, and on a more human level, you just see how they balance their lives and then their you know their professional life, and you get to see no no judge will ever admit this, but you get to see the insecurities and you know when kind of how they're. Um, I would say just making sure all the boxes are checked and you know they want to make sure they don't have blind spots. You you're there for that too. And so it's good to see like what's happening kind of behind the scenes and seeing a human side of the judges. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's working one-on-one for a judge, which was how I started out. And then where where I am now at the appellate division, for me, it's really beneficial for where I'm at in my professional development because now I am no longer writing under my judge's name. I'm writing under my own name and what and my work is getting circulated to all the judges of, of the court. So for me, I see it kind of as um, taking the training wheels off in a sense. Like I can't, you know, I really have to take responsibility for everything I do, the good, the bad, you know. Um, and so I... You know, I found that really exciting and beneficial. And also, it's really, um, I, I think it's been a really fantastic step for me in my career because you get to develop your own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you're writing for a judge, you learn your judge's style and you try to, you know, follow that style or mimic that style. And you know how your judge tends to decide certain types of cases. Um, and you'll you know you'll follow that lead. Whereas now, what I'm doing, where there's um, a bit of distance, and I'm working for all of the judges, I do what I think is right under the law, based on what my court has done mm. under the binding precedent or, or the precedent. And um, and I get to you know if I'm not sure, that's on me. I. I do what I think is probably right, and they can accept it or reject it. But it's but it's exciting to be able to do that sort of under my own name. So do you have to know everything about everything? <laughs> well, <laughs> do you get a clerk? <laughs> yeah, I, w- I wish I got a clerk and a secretary. The way we work at the appellate division, the court is on a very strict 
um, kind of deadline. We have very short deadlines and they're hard deadlines um, because what happens is the cases are calendared and then the then we have, we meaning us court attorneys, we have a certain number of days. Um, so we'll get a case, we'll get a couple cases and we can have day 21 before oral argument through day 14 before oral argument and then you have to hand it off and then it kind of goes down you know the pipeline until the, the judges get it and they and generally get the cases for about seven days before oral argument so it's truly challenging especially when you're starting out and you're encountering areas of the law that you've you're not familiar with let alone never even heard of and then you have a matter of you know hours or, or a couple days to get up to speed and to be able to speak with authority on, you know, on the issues in that, you know, those areas of the law and make a recommendation to the judges. So it is very challenging. Wow. Um, I think that there is this perception that at the appellate division, because we are not in the courtroom, that you're kind of like, put your feet up and, you know, <laughs> you know, take your time and think the deep thoughts. And um, and it real there is a lot of time pressure actually yeah. at the appellate level. So will they come back to you with follow up like after your work makes it to a judge and they've got seven days to prepare? Will you see that work again and uh, with follow up? Or? Typically not because what happens is we prepare a report which is essentially a bench memo mm-hmm. for the judges, and that you know summarizes everything that happened below and all the issues, all of the arguments below and on appeal. And then I would add my two cents and say, you know, while Eric argues this, you know, (laughs) that is actually not what the law says. That's not the direction. Oh, no, you would love my argument. Yeah, I would love your argument. (laughs) Um, And so sort of fill in what I would see as, you know, perhaps any gaps. And then then you also, in addition to the, the bench memo, you attach a draft order. Um, so when the judges get off the bench, then they, um, they conference and they kind of vote, you know, I like what Ashley did with this, or I might want to tweak it or garbage will throw it out and do something totally different, whatever they decide. Uh So they might just, you know, um, publish the, the order, you know, maybe with certain like facial, um, changes and, or they might write something from scratch. So, yeah, but no one real, they're generally not going back to you. What if you're dealing with an issue of first impression where you there's some guiding law, but ultimately you kind of have to make a recommendation maybe right. based on values or what other... Do you look to other states and what they've done in those instances? or? I mean, it would depend. Um, I know I had one case of first impression where I was reading... Um, case law from England from like the 18 early like mid 1800s and it was like lord so and so declareth you know yeah i mean so you you might oh find God. yourself looking at that you know it, it, it depends it depends what kind of case it is and what what area of the law but. and so what brought you into particularly you know i, I you didn't start out working in the state court system. When I was when I was in law school, I interned with a judge in the Southern District. Okay. And so that for me was my first exposure to the judiciary. I am first generation college graduate and I was not, you know, I didn't come up being exposed to lawyers and, and the law, whatever. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was kind of this... Um, 
really, it, it kind of blew my mind working for working for this judge because I suddenly had this understanding of, you know, what judges do, how they work, and the the pressures and the responsibility, and um, and I just kind of fell in love with it. I. I didn't, you know, leave that internship with any plan of immediately returning to the judiciary, but I felt like a seed was planted where I knew there was something that I loved, and at some point in some capacity, I wanted to find my way back to the judiciary. Mm-hmm. Where do you, I mean, you, you're in the court system now. Mm-hmm. Is this a long-term, where do you go from here? Do you know folks who've been clerks forever? Do they become judges? What's what's yeah. usually next? Um, all of the above. I know people that have been career clerks. They've been with their judges. You know, they might start off when their judge is newly elected and join their judge in civil court. And as their judge is promoted, they'll follow along with their judge oh, wow. to Supreme and then maybe to the appellate division. And we have friends in the Court of Appeals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's a possibility. Um some people stay for a period of time and then move on for to other things. They go to private practice or you know what have you, and um, and then a lot of I think there are, there is a tradition of court attorneys then staying training in the courts and then running for an elected or seeking an appointed judicial seat. So, what do you think, based on your experiences, the what makes a really good judge? Um, and what makes a bad judge? Um, what are the qualities that we should be looking for? And what do you most respect in the with the various judges that you've worked for? Um, I think compassion is the first quality that comes to mind because if you can't put yourself in the shoes of the parties and, um, and also be able to envision the, the the impact on the litigants but if you're also you're at the at the appellate level the implications of your the broader implications of your decisions um, you know it's you know that's it's not you're not gonna do well um, in my view and a bad judge <laughs> not that I've ever met him here <laughs> I'm <right>? sure <laughs> um, a, a bad judge would be someone who is not prepared who um, I think doesn't respect the time, the energy, and the emotional and other forms of investment in the cases that the parties and the lawyers have. And um, and I, th- I also actually think that a good judge and, and you know, conversely, a bad judge, uh, a good judge needs to give back. And I think they really need to reach out and help lawyers and law students develop and um, they need to reach out to the community and be really open about the process. And I believe in I believe in PR, frankly, for the judiciary because I think it's kind of like this black box. And and I find that most people don't really understand what's going on and how judges think and how judges become judges and just all of it. And and so I think it's really important that judges are open with the legal community and, and the non-legal community um, and that that in order to instill confidence in, in the process, you know? Yeah. If someone wanted to meet a mentor like you, mm-hmm. how do they do that? 
how did they find somebody? It seems so important that mm-hmm. people reach out. And, you know, at Legal, we try to create, I mean, we threw a judicial reception um, in the early summer. And we had something like 40 openly LGBT judges from various backgrounds um, there available talking. Yeah. Law students, you know, there were quite a few law students in attendance, but if I had known and been more involved back then, you know, think of the, there were all of these judges willing to reach out and and help to talk in an, in an informal setting where you're not, you know, at the other side of a, a table interviewing in a process. Yeah. Um, what would you, how do people meet folks like you? How do people get the connections that they need to be able to succeed in the state judiciary, whether it's to be a judge one day, to be a clerk? Um, a lot of different ways. I mean, I'm, I, I always tell people, don't be afraid to just reach out. Um, you know, if you're a law student and, you know, you have access to the alumni directory, I did this and I tell my mentees to do this, you know, if find someone who's, you know, has a background that you think whatever will be helpful to you or that can, you know, share some information or give you some inspiration and just send them an email and just say, hi, my name's Eric Lesh and I'm a 1L. <laughs> oh, you take me back and, there. And I would, you know, and I'm interested in XYZ and I would love to have coffee with you and hear about your experience. Um, because, you know, everyone likes to talk about themselves. That's the honest to goodness truth. So you can't go wrong with asking to buy someone a cup of coffee and hear about them, hear them talk about themselves. Um, I think I think that's right. It, it's, I think it is. It's a universal truth. Everyone likes to talk about themselves. So um, I would also encourage students and lawyers of every stage of their career to become active in bar associations. Um, you know, it, it's I whenever whenever I speak with law students, I tell them really go to the cocktail parties. Yeah join the organizations and I think that they're thinking they they can't see how anything immediate of value will come out of that but but that's really where it's at it's just making connections with other people I I meet people at events all the time and you know I always encourage people to stay in touch with me like I come to legal (laughs) events you can approach me and I'm happy to talk to you I have to say just knowing you from from the past year that we've known each other and seeing you at you were always present at legal events you're marching with us in the streets um, for pride Um, you give so much of yourself um, to the law and to making the world a better place that I think that's really what most people want in their judgment. Thank you so much. Thanks. um, I'll vote for you. Alright. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for talking to us today. It's been so helpful. We're back. I'm now going to be talking with Michael Lynch, who is an associate in the litigation and business disputes practice in the New York office of Epstein Becker Green. Before joining the firm, Michael served as law clerk to Judge Paul G. Feynman, initially at the Appellate Division of the Supreme Court of New York, First Judicial Department, and then at the New York State Court of Appeals, New York's highest court. Judge Feynman also has the distinction of being the first openly gay member of New York's highest court. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) Good. 
thank you for speaking with us. You spent two years with the Honorable Paul Feynman, uh, the Associate Judge of the Court of Appeals for New York. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got that clerkship experience? Sure. Um, so during my 1L summer uh, in law school, I had clerked for a federal judge in the Southern District of New York, um, and I, I really enjoyed that experience, and I felt that I learned a lot through that process. Um, so I became uh, pretty focused on the prospect of clerking after law, after law school, um, and I actually ended up applying to my clerkship uh, to Judge Feynman, who was then at the Appellate Division First Department, which is the um, intermediate appellate court in New York. Um, and I actually found a posting on our school's Simplicity website, uh, which is our law school's career page. Um, and so I did some research into Judge Feynman, and I saw that he was one of the first openly LGBT judges on his court, um, and I found that very inspiring, and so I applied. So how did you obtain your clerkship? You went in, you were attracted to, um, you know, the prospect of working for an openly LGBT judge. Um, you were called in for an interview, presumably. How did it go? Um, yeah, so it was two rounds of interviewing. Uh, the first round I interviewed with the um, judge's principal law clerk, um, and it was pretty informal. Uh, we went over my resume and talked about some of my personal inter interests, um, and then I ended up being uh, called back in to interview with the judge, um, and I interviewed with him for an hour or so. And then actually after that uh, second round, there was a writing test, um, and I believe they had cut it down to five candidates at that point, and so five of us took this, um, I think it was like a three-hour writing test, um, and then after wow. that, I was uh, given the offer. What was the work like? Uh, duties, your responsibilities? Um, sure. So my uh, primary duties were um, consisted of researching and writing bench memoranda, uh, which essentially um, was like a long report which summarized the facts of any particular case that was being heard on appeal. Um, it would also summarize the party's arguments made in their briefs and um, provided a, a legal analysis and recommended um, an outcome for the appeal. Um, and then in addition to that, I would also write the initial drafts of the judicial opinions, which, um, you know, whether it be the majority concurring or dissenting opinion, um, and I would also communicate with um, law clerks in other chambers uh, regarding the positions of the other various judges on the court um, and what you know what positions they were taking and whether we could um, garner a consensus or uh, uh, get a majority on the appeal. And so you kind of actually get a sense of how the other judges write as well and how to um, you know write. Uh, in order to um, appease not only your own judge, but also the other judges on the court. And what was your relationship like with your judge and the other clerks that you worked with? Um, I had a, a great relationship with my judge. I still have a great relationship with my judge. Um, I consider him to be uh, a real mentor to me. Um, I never really felt uncomfortable approaching his office if I ever had a question or concern about a, a case. Um, and I, we definitely still keep in touch. I, I ended my clerkship about a month ago, and I see him at events all the time, and I, 
I have a, um, a lunch with him in a, a couple weeks coming up. So I, I definitely, um, you know, don't only consider him, you know, my old boss, but I also consider him a friend. Um, and I also definitely got along with my other clerks, and I, I feel that they had the same um, admiration towards my judge. Judge Feynman has a really strong relationship with the LGBT community and the legal community, serving as, you know, working with bar associations closely to give back, to educate folks, to mentor folks. Was that something that was important to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely... Um I had heard him uh, speak at an event before um, applying, and um, I know that you know he he's you know he's one of seven judges on a very high court or the New York New York's highest court, and so he is very busy and he carries a great weight of responsibility. But he definitely makes a, a tremendous effort to remain involved in you know not only the LGBT community but also other bar organizations. Uh, you know, he's constantly speaking at various events, um, and I, I think he does care very uh, much about mentoring lawyers earlier in their career. So, I mean, I consider myself lucky to have landed the clerkship that I did, and it, it definitely uh, was something that I considered when I chose to apply to him. You mentioned that during the course of your clerkship, he was appointed to the highest court from the Intermediate Appellate Court. Can you talk about what that process was like, how your work changed? Sure. Um, so we had, um, I, I believe it was around you know, end of spring uh, of my the first year of my clerkship where um, – our, our our judge uh, brought in the law clerks and told us that he was, you know, applying to be on the New York Court of Appeals, and that he kind of walked us through the process. And it was a pretty long and hard process putting together the applications and going back through all of his old opinions to find, you know, his rate of how much he was affirmed on appeal or reversed on appeal. Um, and we were actually, you know, we were tasked with, you know, putting together that uh, application with his help. Um, and I actually got to answer the phone um, from the governor's general counsel on the day that he was announcing that the judge had, uh, you know, won over the, the governor's appointment and that he was appointing um, Judge Feynman uh, uh, to the Court of Appeals um, pending, you know, con you know, confirmation by the Senate. Um, so the transition was pretty fast after that. Uh, I think within... Um, a couple of weeks, we were moving chambers, and all of our, um, you know, files were getting uh, uh, turned over to the Court of Appeals. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was um, you know a very fast and exciting experience. At the first department, I didn't. Um, the law clerks of the various judges don't really communicate too much on the cases. Um, the judges do it directly. Um, but at the Court of Appeals, the judges actually use their law clerks um, to do the communicating, at least initially, um, between the various chambers. So that was certainly a big change um, and one of the, um, I thought, one of the most uh, exciting aspects of the job at the Court of Appeals was really getting to do kind of like the behind-the-scenes work uh, and see how a case um, or a decision comes together kind of from the ground up. What was the most um, important experience that you had? What are you taking away? I think um, one thing that my judge um, harked on a lot was 
um, building professional relationships and um, always being kind to other people because you never know when that person later down the road might be that that one person that you need for something. Um, So I think definitely uh, the importance of maintaining um, uh, relationships with other lawyers uh, and um, getting along with others. So what advice would you give to law students who are considering a clerkship opportunity? Um, I would absolutely encourage, um, you know, current law students, um, but also, you know, recent graduates to pursue clerkships. Um, I think my clerkship experience uh, had a tremendous impact on me personally and professionally. Um, and I, I really do believe that it had the effect of setting me years ahead uh, in my career. You mentioned uh, personally and professionally. What was the, wh- how, how did it impact you personally, do you think? I think personally because it just made me realize how important um, the connections you make can be later on in life. Um, so I, I really do now make uh, a very big effort in my everyday life uh, while at work and also while not at work to, um, you know, to make sure that I am treating people in a way that reflects well on my reputation. Are we ever going to see you on the bench one day? (laughs) Um, I think, you know, it's very early. I'm only uh, two and a half years out of law school at this point, but... Uh, it's definitely something that I'm, you know, I could, I'm interested in and, uh, you know, optimistically hopeful. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for talking to us today, Michael. All right. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening. This and future podcasts can also be found on iTunes or at legal.podbean.com. Follow Legal on Twitter at LGBTBarNY or like us on Facebook. Follow me, Eric Lesh, at edlesh. Thanks again for joining us for the Legal LGBT Podcast.